You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Decade of Praise, Part 2. Enjoy. Last Sunday was the first Sunday of 2012. 2012, haha, <laughs> wouldn't that be something? 2020. 2012's next year, right? The first Sunday of a new decade, 2020. And I, I share with you that I, I believe this is the year of taste and see. That you, if you will set your heart on him, if you will give him your undivided attention, you will experience him like you never have before. His love, his power, his wholeness, his provision, like never before. But you know, you do have to give him your attention. I don't know how many times I was in class growing up in school daydreaming. The teacher would call my name and I'd say, what? Do you have the answer to that question? What was the question? God wants you to dream and have visions that come from him. Give him your attention as you're going through your day. He's met every one of your needs in Christ. So as we started the, this new year and this new decade last Sunday, prior to that, as, as I was just seeking the Lord as to what to focus on, he said, talk about the, the whole decade as we start this new decade and call it a decade of praise, a decade of praise. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're going to continue with that this morning. And the next series we're going to get into, as far as I can tell at this point, is going to be called Your Best Life. And we'll talk more specifically about tasting and seeing. But we're starting with a decade of praise. And I want you to know what praise is. We're going to move forward in this new decade, cultivating an atmosphere of praise in our lives. We're no longer going to allow fear to have a conversation with us. We're not going to allow it. We're not going to allow doubts and anxiety to converse with us anymore. We're going to silence them all by exercising our will to praise Him. Being confident and sure that He is faithful to do all that He has purposed and promised in our lives. That's this decade. That's 10 years. A lot can happen in 10 years. You can be a whole different person than you are now in 10 years. A lot can happen in a moment with him. But I really felt the Lord wanted me to emphasize this 10-year period and cultivate this atmosphere of praise. Hallelujah. I love you guys playing all service, but I want to give you a break if you just want to chill. It's totally up to you. So thank you, band, so much. Yeah. Now, praise is a word you may have heard. If you've been to most churches, they'll use that term, and it's in the Bible. But I want to talk to you about praise, a decade of praise. Why do we praise him? We're not praising God trying to appease him, to keep him from punishing us, or to get something from him. 
Now, you remember my story about the King Kong movie, the old black and white King Kong movie? Well, maybe you haven't heard it, but I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. Speaking of trying to appease God, there is a concept among pagan worship and even in Christian churches that we've got to appease. You know what I mean by appease? In other words, we've got to do certain things or God's going to be upset with us. We've got to walk a certain way. We've got to dress a certain way. We've got to read a certain amount of the Bible. We've got to pray a certain way. We can't do this and we can't do that. We've got to appease him. And if you look at pagan worship around the world, you'll find that they're afraid of their gods. They're afraid that if they don't do the right thing, that they're going to get squashed. In fact, in the, the land of India, they call it the land of a million gods. And if you've ever seen some of the idols, I've never been there just through videos and pictures, that some of their idols, their gods are sitting, squashing people. And many people have that view of the true and living God, of Jehovah. Nothing could be further from the truth. So when I was growing up, I, I was kind of given that view of God. You better not mess up. He's already going to get you. But if you mess up, he's really going to get you. Right? So I was afraid of God. There's a huge difference, a world of difference, between being afraid of God and the biblical fear of God. The biblical fear of the Lord is an awesome reverence that motivates and inspires us to know him. Being afraid of God is you think that he's going to do something bad to you because of your shortcomings. God doesn't want that in your life. So here I am, 17 years old. I've just about had it with religion. And it just happened to be a late night. I was sitting at home. Everyone else had gone to bed. Uh, I was watching a late night movie on TV. This is back in the day. Uh, this would have been in the mid to late 80s. And this, the original King Kong movie comes on the set. Black and white, classic. If you haven't seen it, you'll love it. So, but I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I didn't know the Holy Spirit. I didn't know the scriptures, but he had been moving in my life. He had been uh, tugging at my heart and, and trying to open my eyes to who he was. And I'm sitting there on my couch watching this old movie, and there's a scene where the natives in this movie are bowing before this idol of calm. And it's been a long time that I've seen, I don't remember all the details. But there's this, they're bowing before this idol and there's this big gate that where Kong comes to. And they have to chant and bow up and down and do this and they're just you know, doing their chants and, and they're lighting their torches and banging their drums and trying to appease Kong. That if when their God comes, if, they could, if he's pleased with their music and if he's pleased with their chants and if he's pleased with the gifts they offer him, he won't hurt them. Do you think like that even a little bit with God? Even just a little bit. God wants to love you and get every last bit of that thinking out of your head and out of your life. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 54. So as I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I didn't know it then, but I know it now, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, this is kind of like the church you go to, isn't it? That's what I, just what he impressed upon my heart. 
When I say the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I don't mean an audible voice like you're hearing now. I mean he, he impressed something to me in my heart. Okay? Understand, I'll use that term a lot, say he spoke to me. I mean he impressed, he bore witness in my heart. Okay? There's a better way to hear from God than audibly. It's by the Spirit of God in your spirit. That's how you want to hear from it. Okay? It's better than your five senses. So I sat there and I thought, it is. This is like my Sunday morning service. We all come in. We have a, a, a liturgy we go through. We do the same thing. We kneel at a certain time. We, we, we say our prayers a certain way. We all do it in unison. Amen. That's what we did every week. And you were told you had to do that. Because it increased your chances of God maybe doing something good in your life or maybe decreasing your chances of punishment. What a wrong, ungodly, ignorant concept of God. So I like the book of Isaiah, and I'm there quite a bit. One of the reasons, well, the primary reason is it's often called the fifth gospel because it is just overflowing with prophecy of Jesus Christ. So when you're reading Isaiah, you have to realize that. He is just, he is spelling out what Jesus is going to do for us to the letter. And it was hundreds of years before Christ ever came. And in chapter 53, you'll hear me quote from it a lot, and Matthew quoted from it a lot in Matthew 8, 17, where he said, himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases because Jesus ministered healing to people. He does the same thing today. No questions asked. Only one, do you believe? So he ministers, he's healing, healing to people. But in Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus bearing our sins, bearing our sicknesses, taking the punishment that was necessary so that we could be whole for us. And so that by his wounds, we are healed. So 53 is very powerful as you read through it, but it flows right into 54. Now you may or may not know the Bible wasn't written in chapters or verses. They did that much later. Uh, just for reference sake, and it's very helpful. But sometimes if you get caught up in the chapters and the numbers, you kind of miss the flow. So this section of 53 just flows right into 54. So get the context. Isaiah's prophesying. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to bear your sins. He's going to bear your sicknesses. He's going to bear your diseases. The punishment that everyone's so afraid of, he's going to take that upon himself and because he's going to do that now this was in future tense for Isaiah's sake it's past tense for our sake right he's already done it but he's saying because he's going to do that well-being wholeness will belong to you and with that context we're flowing right into the next chapter chapter 54 we're going to start in verse 4 decade of praise is a decade free from fear Fear not because of what Jesus did for you. 
For you shall not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. How's this going to happen? How's this going to work out? I don't know. I'm afraid. Don't do that anymore. For thou shall not be put to shame. Why? Because of what Jesus did for you. For you shall forget the shame of your youth, of your past, and shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For thy maker, verse 5, is thine husband. What an intimate relationship God the Father wants with you. The type of relationship that a husband has with his wife. The Lord of hosts, that's a military term. The general of the army of heaven is his name. That means you have nothing to be afraid of. He's the general of heaven's armies. And he's for you like a husband is for his wife. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. All of us have been rejected at some time in our lives to one degree or another. I experienced a lot of rejection in my lifetime growing up. A lot of stuff going on in my home growing up that should never go on in anybody's home growing up. And it hurt really bad. (laughs) I'm telling you that because I want you to know that whatever you've been through, Christ came to heal you from it. I am a happy man today healed from every wound of the past because of what Jesus did for me before I was born. How about you? Are you letting him heal you from the wounds of your past? Don't go through life carrying the wounds and baggage of your past. I know you've been mistreated. Welcome to planet Earth. It happens a lot down here. It's not God's will, it's not his plan, but Satan is the God of this world. And just stick around, sooner or later, someone's gonna reject you, someone's gonna say something to you that you didn't wanna say, or Satan's gonna whisper in your ear and try and get you offended, try and get you to feel rejected. He can do that too. He can try and amplify what you've been through, so you never get over it. But we're not listening to Satan. We're not listening to darkness. We're not listening to the the counselors with world's wisdom. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. He said, I bore your past. I bore every wound that you took. I bore it for you. Be free today. Be whole today. If you've been abused or neglected, be whole today by the Spirit of God. Let, Let the Holy Spirit heal your inside. Hallelujah. Now, in verse 7, understand, again, he's talking about the Messiah on the cross and what we will enjoy as the result of what Jesus did on that cross. So verse 7, he says, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies I will gather thee. What moment is the prophet referring to? Do you guys know? 
the, the moment on the cross where Jesus became sin. There, there are Christian theologians who would get really mad at me for saying that, but it's true. He became sin. And it was proven for the only time when he looked to his father and didn't call him father, he said, my God, my God. Yuck. How impersonal. There's a big difference between my God and daddy. Daddy means you're in your pajamas, on the floor, rolling around, getting tickled, having fun with dad. My God means I don't know what you're going to do to me. I'm not sure about your nature and will towards me. My God, my God, Jesus said on the cross when he became sin, never before that. Why have you forsaken me? That's why he said that. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that. And God separated himself from his son because he had become sin and he gave up his spirit and descended into hell and for three days bore the full punishment and wrath of God for our sins. Isn't that amazing? But he was clean in of himself. And because of that, on the third day, God said, it's sufficient. It is enough. The price has been paid. Rise. And he rose. So that's what he's talking about in verse 7. For a brief moment, a small moment, I forsook you. Verse 8, in a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. This is not for you today. He's talking about the Messiah on the cross who became sin. In a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with, now this is for you. Because of the Messiah becoming sin for you on the cross, with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you. Jesus didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. So that your relationship with God would be full of everlasting mercy and no punishment. That's what our praise is about, isn't it? What he's done for us. With everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Lord thy Redeemer. Verse 9, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. What happened to the waters of Noah? After the waters receded, what happened? Noah presented offerings unto God. And what did God put in the sky? A covenant, a rainbow that was a symbol of a covenant. Say, I'll never do that again. Never flood the earth again. He said, this is the days of Noah me, unto me, for I have sworn that the water, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. Listen to this. This is because of what Jesus did for you. This is for you. So I have sworn that I would not be wroth. That's not a word we use. Angry. I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you ever again. God will never be angry with you. He will never rebuke you again because of what Jesus did. That might just blow you away, and I get that. But it's true. This is the power of Christ's substitution for you. Our relationship with God is zero 
punishment. 100% blessing and favor. Sorry, that's the way it is. I know the religious police turn on their sirens when I say that. But that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for us. I'll say it again. Your relationship with God through simple faith in Christ is 0% anger, rebuke, and punishment, and 100% blessing and favor and mercy and loving kindness for the rest of your life. And no one can change that. And don't let anyone tell you different. If that's not true, Jesus didn't do a very good job. See, people don't understand with their goofy theology what they're really saying. They're saying Jesus didn't accomplish what the Father sent him to do. So every now and then, God's got to give us a kick. God's got to punish us. God's got to hurt us. God's got to do these things. No, Jesus took every kick, He took every punch. Every roundhouse, every body slam, he took it for you, WWE. Amber, where you at? I mean, I, used to, I, see, I don't watch wrestling anymore. I used to as a kid. Bruno or San Martino, anyone know that name? All right. Uh, I knew Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan. Wait, was that his wrestling name? Or was that after Rocky III? I forget. Anyway, and I remember there was a couple of brothers that wore masks on their face. What are those guys called? Oh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. How many people know Jimmy Superfly Snooker? Come on, on the ropes, right? He'd get up in the corner and... Come on, doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Why are we talking about wrestling? Because God took it all, all your punishment, right? All your body slams, right? You don't ever have to worry about Jimmy Superfly Snooker jumping on you. Hallelujah. For this is the waters of Noah. I'll never, be, I'll never be wroth, angry with you. I'll never rebuke you again. Look at verse 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this world. But as far as you and I are concerned, because of my son, my kindness shall not depart from you. In other words, nothing can change this. This is a covenant that I have made, not between you and what you've done, between me and what my son has done. That's why it's so sure. It's not based on your goody-goodiness. It's based on the perfect performance of Jesus. So that's why we never have to be afraid because we have a sure thing with our father. You'll, you'll never, excuse me, let me get back to that. My kindness shall not, never depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my shalom. Remember to de-religify that word peace, right? Pshhh. Right? People don't know what that word means. It means untroubled, undisturbed, well-being. It means wholeness and prosperity. Shalom. Study it out. Get your concordance. Study the word. Look at how it's used. 
powerful word. He said, I've made a covenant with you through my son of wholeness, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being, and no mountains, nothing in this world can take it away from you. My covenant of wholeness and prosperity will never be removed from you, says the Lord that has mercy on you. Meditate on this reality today. So for us to, to try and appease God is silly. It's ignorant of what Christ has done for us. At Highway Church, we focus on just three things. Who Jesus is, what he's already done for us, and who we are in him. You will find those three things cover everything. But if you're ignorant of any one of those three things, it leaves an open door for the enemy to play with you. You've got to know who he is. You've got to, I mean, you've got to know it as you know one and one is two. You cannot let anyone or anything talk you out of the nature of God. Satan will try. Religion will try. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know what he's already done for you. Or you're going to spend a lot of time asking God to do things that you already have. That he's already done that you just need to receive by faith. And who you are now in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's jump to verse 11 here. Well, it's just, it's just the next verse, isn't it? Oh, thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, winds, and not comforted. A lot of stuff that can toss you around in this world if you're not grounded in those three things. Who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in him. Behold, I will lay your stones with fair colors and I'll lay your foundations with sapphires. He said, I want to take your life and make it beautiful because of what my son did for you. I'll make your windows of agates and your gates of carbuncles and all your borders of pleasant stones. I'm going to turn you into someone beautiful, pain-free, whole, and prosperous. Verse 13, and all your children, everyone who puts their faith in Christ, and I say this over my children, all your children shall be taught personally tutored by the Lord. And great shall be the wholeness and prosperity of your children. If I were a parent, and I am, I'd grab a hold of that verse right now. And I'd declare it over my family regularly. And as I'm declaring it, remember, it includes you too. You're one of his children. Right? In righteousness, you shall be immovable. Established, unshakable. That's why the devil tries to condemn you because your, your unshakable confidence is in knowing that you're righteous. God gave you his righteousness. It's permanent. You can't lose it. I know that, that there are religious doctrines out there that say you can, but boy, oh boy, if we can lose it, we're in trouble. 
You can refuse to accept it. You can reject it, but you can't lose it. It's who you are now. That's one of the three, remember? Who you are in him. The vast majority of believers walking on the earth do not know that they are no longer sinners. They are the righteousness of God in Christ. Some prayers that I've heard over the years by believers are cringy. Because they don't know who they are. They're praying things ignorant of what Christ has done for them. Ignorant. Do you know God has already forgiven you for every single mistake you will ever make? If the blood of Jesus doesn't cover my future sins, I'm in big trouble. Listen, Jesus died before you were born. Every sin you've committed was future sin, wasn't it? He's got you fully covered, and you've got to know that you're God's very own offspring. You're born of him. You have his heritage. His heritage, his inheritance. I just combined the two. Save time, right? Just combine two words and keep on going. That's how we work. <laughs> now, what's, what happens when you become confident of your righteousness, verse 14? The not my righteousness, I mean my righteousness in him. You can't do enough good things. You can't say enough prayers. You can't read enough Bibles. You can't uh, give enough money to get the kind of righteousness that you've been given already in Christ. In fact, all of our attempts to be righteous are like smelly, oily rags in the garage. <laughs> they don't work. They're good for nothing anymore. You got to throw them out. So throw your works out and accept the righteousness. Stop trying to be, stop trying to do and be righteous and accept the righteousness he's already given you. It's a gift, isn't it? Romans 5, 17, the abundance of his grace, those who accept these two things, the abundance of his grace, that's why the devil's so mad about the gospel of grace that's being preached here and in many other churches in the world right now. Thank God for people who aren't afraid to preach it. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for Joseph Prince. Thank you for Andrew Womack. Thank you for all of those who aren't afraid to preach Creferal Dollar, the gospel of his grace. Hallelujah. That you're the righteousness of God in Christ, the abundance of his grace, and the gift of his righteousness. If you ever have to pay or earn a gift, it's not a gift. It's the gift. He gave it to you. It's yours. No questions asked. No strings attached. It belongs to you. Open it up and enjoy it. So when, you're really, when you really know this, he says you'll be established in this knowledge and you'll be far from oppression. Far from it. Why? Because oppression comes through condemnation through fear. These things can't touch you anymore when you're certain that you're clean before God. You'll be far from oppression. You shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. 
I am thrilled over my life as I've grown strong in this. When fear comes to knock on my door, how it runs away when I remind myself of who I am in Christ. That's wonderful to watch. Verse 17, he goes on to say, because of this righteousness you've been given, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue, every single accusation that's arise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. All those accusations that are trying to condemn you, you're going to be the one who does the condemning. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. So our praise, we're not trying to appease God. We're not, oh, we better sing another song, or he's not going to be happy. Jesus appeased him. Now, wow. All right, I want to go too fast. We'll take our time here. If Jesus already did this, that means all that he did for me is already done, right? So we praise him from a knowledge of what's already done through Christ. So let's stay in Isaiah. Let's just go back to 53 for a moment. I almost jumped past this, but I, I felt I better go back and... Grab a hold of this because we need it. Isaiah 53. We were just in 54. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Again, this is talking about Jesus' substitutionary work through the cross. It says, surely, it means there's no doubt about it. it, it you, you can bet your life on it. Surely he has borne our griefs. And if you study that word, do you have it in the Amplified back there, guys? Amplified Classic. Awesome, you can pop it up there. If you study this, these words, griefs and sorrows, you'll see that Matthew says sickness and disease because that's what these words in the Hebrew mean. Our pains, our sicknesses, our diseases. And the Amplified brings that truth out. It says, surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, our distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. So don't you carry them anymore. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded, verse 5, why? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment, needful to obtain wholeness, well-being, prosperity for us, was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded Jesus, we are healed and made whole. You've got to know it's already done. You never need to ask God to heal you again. You need to realize you're already healed and praise him for it. Right in the face of however you feel or whatever symptoms are trying to talk to you, you worship him, say, thank you, Father, I am healed. You healed me before I was born. Every part of my body you paid full price for. And you watch what happens as you, instead of beginning to run through the gambit of what these symptoms can mean and how, what you've got to do to try and get free from this, just put that all aside and start to worship him that you're healed. 
And every time a doubt about that pops up, continue worshiping him that you're healed. You watch what happens and how naturally that healing begins to flow through your body. And time will pass. You say, wait a minute, where'd that go? Where was that thing that, I, that the, tri, the devil was trying to make me so worried about? It's gone. Why? Because he already bore it before the devil ever tried to put it on me. Hallelujah. Someone's grabbing that somewhere. Amen. I felt a tug on that right there. Jesus felt a tug on him when that lady touched him. Why didn't he? A lot of people were touching him. And his disciples thought, Jesus, are you losing it? People are touching you all over the place. What do you mean someone touched you? He clarified. He said, virtue's gone out of me. Power's gone out of me. What made that power leave his body and enter that woman, her faith in him? Do you, is your faith in him or is it in your own efforts? Is it in someone's theology? Just Jesus. He's your healer. This is why Jesus said in John 19.30, the last words he uttered out of his mouth, he said, it is finished. And then he exercised his free will and gave up his ghost, his spirit. They didn't kill him. He surrendered his life. You know that? Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, that's God the Father and Jesus the Son, but delivered Jesus the Son up for us all, how shall he not also with the Son freely give us an allowance every now and then? No? That's how people treat God. Maybe he'll just give me five bucks this week if I wash the dishes every day. He will freely give us all things. God has no hang-ups whatsoever about giving you anything. The only one that does oftentimes is us and religion. Well, you can't ask God for that. Jesus said, whatever you desire, ask the Father that your joy might be full. Wow, is he free. God's confident in you. God believes in you. God believes that, 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 that you have the ability to go all the way. God believes in you. He has no hang-ups whatsoever about blessing you and giving you your heart's desires. None. Religion taught you that. The devil teaches that. He has no hang-ups about giving you your heart's desires. In fact, the things he wants to give you are beyond what your hearts desire, better than anything you've dreamed of or imagined, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. He's just waiting for you to believe and realize how good he is so that he can flood into your life and show himself to you. Hallelujah. So we're not trying to appease him. It's already done. Our praise comes from a knowledge of the finished work of Christ. He bore my sins. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my diseases. He took all the punishment that was necessary for me to be whole and prosperous. And for that reason, I lift up my hands and I worship you. Thank you. That's the kind of praise 
that is of faith that does please him. Not appease, but please. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? Hebrews eleven six. Those who come to him must, must know that he's a rewarder, right? That he is who he says he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right? So faith does please him, not appease him. It pleases him when we know who we are in him. Faith comes from knowledge of who you are and who he is and what he's done. All right. Now here's, a, I don't mean to step on any toes, but we're going to go into another one here. Are you ready? Praise is not a work. Praise is not a work trying to get God to move on our behalf. Now, help me out here a little bit. This is very common, and I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but I am trying to remove these wrong ideas from your thinking so that God can flow in your life unhindered. You, well, I've heard it many times, been in the body of Christ 30 years. Praise him till the power comes down. When exactly is that? How many choruses do I have to sing? Who sets the standard for that? Praise him till the power comes down. Just keep praising him. Just keep praising him. Praise him till the power comes down. Where does that kind of thinking come from? Not from the knowledge of the finished work of Christ. It comes from religious and cultural tradition. I've got to work myself into a fervor so that God will do something. That's ignorance. Just being real with you. It's already done. We're not praising him to get him to do something. The power came down in Mary's womb. The power came down, bro. If you're still waiting for it, you missed it. If you're just trying to sing to get it to happen, it already happened. Jesus came. And he was born in the womb of a virgin. I don't know how more, can't get much more powerful than that. Born in the womb of a virgin and lived a spotless life before God for 30 plus years and became sin for us and descended into hell and on the third day defeated death and stripped the devil and all of his demons of every right they had which they stole from Adam and rose from the dead. So if, any, if the power is going to come from any, you know where the power comes from? It comes from inside of you because it's already there. Maybe you could say praise until the power comes up from inside of you. Because what real praise does, it gets your focus off of the problem and onto the reality of what he's done for you. And that does cause the resurrection power inside of you to rise to the surface. So you could say that, I guess, praise until the power comes up. <laughs> as long as you know it's inside of you now. Hallelujah. What releases the power that's already inside of us? Believing in what he's already done for us. Hallelujah. There it is. It's right there. I didn't sing for an hour. I just believe. The resurrection power of Christ is in you now. And nothing can remove it from you.
Meditate on that this week. I'm wholly filled and flooded with God himself. My whole being is filled unto all the fullness of God. This new life I'm living, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. He dispenses his life into mine around the clock and no one can stop him. And I've been to some, some conferences in different churches, and man, they'll, 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 they'll talk about these things. You know, you got to keep praising. You gotta, praise is not a work. We want to praise him all the time because of what he's done for us. So we want our praise in 2020 to 2030 to come out of the knowledge of what he's done for us. We're worshiping him. We're blessing him continually because he's just so good. We're not trying to appease him. We're not trying for the, waiting for the power to come down. We're not trying, we're, we're not working this thing to try and get something to happen. We're, we're, we're meditating on the reality that he did it for me. This will, you can have two people standing by side by side, side by side, both praising him. One praising him as a work and one praising him out of faith and we'll have a whole different life experience. Whole different life experience. One will go away tired and drained. The other one will go away whole and inspired. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Wow. I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit here. Thank you, Jesus. Let's finish with this verse here, Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 in the Amplified translation. This is how we cultivate this atmosphere of praise. And, and this takes time. We grow in this, okay? You've got to teach your mind to stop panicking, to stop listening to wrong ideas about yourself and God. You have to train your mind. This doesn't happen in a day. This takes time. But boy, just, just start today. Anytime fear, discouragement, anxiety tries to, to occupy your thought life, you begin to worship God with the truth of what he's done for you. So Abram is really important to us. Abraham became Abraham. The Bible, the New Testament calls him the father of our faith. And I emphasize this regularly because many Christians don't understand this. They think Abraham was under the Ten Commandments. He wasn't. Less than, what is it, less than 25% of man's existence on earth was the law in existence. Many people don't know that. It was about 2,500 years from Adam to the Mosaic Covenant before the law was given. Abraham, the father of our faith, lived 430 years, I think it was, before the law was given. His relationship with God was based on uh, what God spoke to him, okay? 
So God said to Abram, we talked about this last week, you're going to be the father of many nations that through you is going to come the Messiah, was basically the promise that was spoken. And every nation of the earth will be blessed. And I love this, how the Amplified captures this. It says, no unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith. I want you to notice that he grew strong. He didn't start out strong. Okay? How did he grow strong? How was he empowered? By faith, in other words, knowledge of who, what God had done for him, who God is, what he had done for him. He grew in the knowledge of God's nature. He grew in the knowledge of God's faithfulness. That's what faith is. It comes from knowledge. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know his will, you can't have faith. Right? Understand that. Religion can't teach you God's will because it doesn't know it. When you know it's God's will to forgive you, you can have faith to be forgiven. When you know it's God's will to heal you, you can have faith to be healed. That's why the devil tries to talk you out of those two things. So by faith, knowledge of God's nature, he grew strong and was empowered as he gave praise and glory to God. So God revealed himself to Abraham. God showed Abraham how faithful he was. Abraham began to praise him for it. And as he praised God from the knowledge of God's nature, he grew stronger. Are you following me? That's what we're doing in 2020 and 2021, all the way through the decade. We're growing in the knowledge of what he's done for us and who he is, his nature. And as we grow in that, we worship him for those things, fully satisfied, verse 21, and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. Amen. This will produce, if you're praising God as I've shared with you today, it will produce an unshakable confidence in you. If you're praising God, trying to appease him, or out of religious duty, or, or trying to get the power to come down, you're going to get worn out and frustrated. All right? We're praising him out of the knowledge of his faithfulness, out of what he's already done for us, out of who he revealed himself to be through Christ. Amen. Father, thank you. Well, we've had some amazing times together in this place here at Highway. Lord, you are doing a new thing here. You are setting pre people free from the shackles of religious tradition and man's theology, and you're bringing them into the unhindered freedom and liberty of Christ. Lord, we worship you because of what you've done for us. You have proven yourself faithful by giving us your son. And we worship you in Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. 
If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.